0: Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our September 30th, 2010 edition of the show, 4.08 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. A little bit of a uh, rainy day, but... Very welcome rain uh, here in Southern California. Before we get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI Staff or Management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at org. You can also catch me on Facebook, that's facebook.com slash RG Larson. In these difficult times, it may be as important as ever to be organized as working people, as the many, against those whose excessive power, the few, make real democracy a farce. In order to do this properly, we need to understand from history what works and what doesn't. We need to talk to those who've done it. With that in mind, we'll be as, uh, talking to Mike Miller as our special guest today about his new book, A Community Organizer's Tale, People and Power in San Francisco. We'll be discussing his work with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee with Saul Alinsky and with San Francisco's Mission Coalition organization. Mike Miller, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. It's great to have you. I've uh, really been inspired by what I've been reading in your book here, and I think we <laughs> need more of what you have to offer for some uh, times where a lot of people are feeling um, a bit disempowered and uh, need to know how we can <laughs> turn that around, and you certainly have a lot of experience with that. So I guess the, the Mission Coalition organization is is the, the big thing that's, that's on your resume that you, uh, the book is primarily about. So, can you tell us about a little bit about that organization, what it was, and how you came to be involved with that?
1: Yes, that was a federation in San Francisco's Mission District, a largely Latino area, but really an area with a little bit of everybody: old Irish and Italians, uh, Pacific Islanders, mostly from Samoa, uh, Filipinos, African Americans. Uh, You would be hard-pressed to find uh, a group that has any numbers in the United States that didn't have a few of its people living in the Mission District. So it was a wonderful place to do what I think is centrally needed in the country today, and that is bring diverse groups of people together around core values of justice, democracy, freedom, participation, and community, and assisting them to create a people power voice that could speak to the powers that be, uh, bring them to the negotiating table if they didn't want to be there, and take action against them if they wouldn't engage in good faith negotiations. And the Mission Coalition successfully did that for several years. Uh, it, it, it's a great story I love telling it and uh, the book is about it
0: yeah, so tell us if you could give us some anecdotes about I know you are uh, seem to be very big on the book and in, in letting us know about those things that that really did work those types of uh, tactics and strategies and, and those that maybe didn't work so well or some things that caused problems if you could maybe give us an anecdote on the positive side and then one of you know illustrating something that didn't work so well
1: well i'll say something about that in a minute but let me say this first Uh, we were able to engage in some fairly militant tactics and yet keep a broad base of people together that's what the central thing you have to ask about a tactic in addition to its effectiveness You can have a very effective tactic that might even win you a victory in a particular instance, but it might also alienate you from the very base and constituency that you want to be in relationship with. So we were able to do both, have tactics that were effective in relation to our adversaries, and yet that at the same time uh, didn't alienate important elements, some of which were fairly conservative, in our own organization. One of our most effective tactics was to sit in the office of the plant manager of a big baking, actually a subsidiary of ITT Continental, uh, Wonder Bread and Hostess Cupcakes, which had a plant in the Mission District. We had a promise from the plant superintendent for a meeting. And at the very last minute, he phoned us at our headquarters, said he was canceling the meeting and that he wouldn't schedule another one. So the delegation that was there prepared to go for the meeting with him just went over there anyway and marched past his reception desk Mm -hmm. and into his office and staged a sit-in there. Uh, Why he didn't call the police is something that has always puzzled me. But he didn't. We must have sat there forty minutes, forty-five minutes before something broke the ice in his mind, and he said, "All right, I will meet with you, uh, and this time I'm for real." And we took him took it seriously. We we decided, uh, yeah, he's this time he's going to do it. So we left. And sure enough, we got up the meeting, we negotiated an agreement, and it began a very effective jobs campaign.
0: Do you think when you're in those types of situations that the uh, person in the position of power is often, uh, or maybe often, but sometimes bluffing to just see if they can get you to go away real easily, and when you don't, then they say, okay, I guess I'm going to have to actually talk to these people and that so it it does pay to to be persistent and to raise the level of your action
1: absolutely i've discovered over the years that you can actually sequence the things that adversaries are likely to do and the first of those things is to ignore you and the odds are that you will go away I mean, they've had a lot of experience of stonewalling an irate resident who calls to complain about something or other, and uh, then the, the passion passes and the person just kind of goes away. Uh, now, there's a civic price paid for that. It gives more evidence of the idea that, quote-unquote, downtown doesn't care, downtown is unresponsive, downtown is not, not accountable. But it works in the immediate situation. So you have to have ways of getting past being ignored, and then you have to have ways of dealing with a whole bunch of tactics that are engaged in by adversaries once you actually meet with them. Uh, divide and conquer uh, being a big one
0: and as your job as a community organizer is uh, part of your job is to know those kinds of things to know what they may plan next, to know these things from past experience, from working with other more experienced organizers, and to be able to engage in that chess game you know what 's my next move
1: yeah, I have a funny story we We did a role play of how the mayor was going to respond to us in a meeting i use role playing a lot so i played the mayor and uh prepared our negotiating team for the meeting and we had a meeting with the mayor it was a successful meeting and at the end we're walking out of city hall and i get these odd looks from some of the members of the negotiating committee so i said kind of in jest uh What's the matter? Do I smell bad today? And one of them said to me, Mike, did you talk to the mayor before this meeting? <laughs> I, said, I, I said, no, what are you talking about? They said, well, he said things that were just like what you said. <laughs> <laughs> and it was true. I, I I really had played him pretty well. <clears throat> so people were prepared and and we knew what to do.
0: uh, This is out the rabbit hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here speaking with Mike Miller, and we're discussing his book, A Community Organizer's Tale, People and and Power in San Francisco, discusses his history as a community organizer in the 1960s in San Francisco and elsewhere. And uh, so you use the term a lot, Mike, people power, and and we've heard that term before, but I, I think you could maybe define it a, a little better. I think it maybe means something a little more to you than maybe what most of us think about. What, what When you use the term people power,
1: it means that you bring people together in a sustained way, a mutually respectful way, a way in which they can engage in deliberation with one another, make compromises among themselves so that they can have a program they agree upon, and then have a united front when they deal with dominant institutions of American society, excuse me, whether these be political or economic, so that when they meet with a decision maker in one of these institutions and make a proposal to that person, they are confident that if they cannot get good faith negotiations, They will take a next step, and that next step, whether it be a boycott or a public shaming or a rent strike or a sit-in or a whatever, that next step is going to have a significant enough impact on that adversary that he's going to come back to the negotiating table. And this time he will negotiate in good faith.
0: And as a, a community organizer, it's, it's not just enough to, to bring people together to say, you know, for a meeting or two, or that we're going to march this day. There has to be something, there has to be a gel there, and there has to be a way to make people really feel that they are a community and that they have common interests.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, and... One of the things that I think we might have done a little too much of, matter of fact, I do think we did a little too much of in the 60s, was rely on the reaction of our adversaries to stir up the juices of our group and keep us in motion. Since that time, people are now paying more attention to incorporating deep discussions of values. What do we stand for? What's different about the society we would like to see than the one that we face and have to deal with? Uh, What are the core values that bring us together? And to spend more time on more formal education, giving people a sense of the history of people power kinds of struggles in the United States, the civil rights movement, the labor movement, the suffragettes, the abolitionist slavery, the American Revolution, and so on. So people feel that they are are the current expression of the best of American democracy. Or if they frame this in religious terms, which a lot of people engaged in community organizing do, that they are doing the work of their faith it's not just an immediate interest that has them engaged is an expression of who they are as a person of faith
0: i, I like very much that you uh, that religious organizations and groups and leaders were uh, very integral to the community organizing that you did and i know nowadays so much in America, we hear about the religious right, and uh, there, the vast majority of religious people in this country are not the religious right and are people often that have very progressive views, and uh, these uh, organizations can be um, quite important in community organizing. Is that not correct?
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, the four of the major bearers.
0: All right. You still there? Somehow we got uh we got cut off. Let's see if we can uh we lost connection with Mike here. Um let me All right. We'll we'll go to a little bit of music here and see if we can get him back. Mike, are you there? I hear you. Yeah, okay. We just had a little electronic glitch there for a moment in uh, you're you're back now. I I can tell by the tone in my headphones. <laughs> Don't know what okay. that was. That's never happened before. But go go ahead. Uh, uh, go back about a minute.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, I was saying the major bearers in this kind of four of the major bearers of the Olinsky tradition. He he's the granddaddy of this kind of community organizing. For the organizations, Industrial Areas Foundation, Pico, Direct Action Research and Training and Gamaliel Foundation, all all have religious congregations as key participants in the local organizations they put together. So the idea of tapping into uh, people's religious faith and calling upon them to translate that faith into action in the world uh, is quite widespread now in the united states
0: well i mean there 's this uh, the golden rule, which is somehow related into most of uh the religious traditions that are practiced in in this country is is something that is quite uh in, in sync with community organizing and, absolutely yeah, and so it 's not about this uh kind of crazy stuff that we hear about, uh, you know, gods, uh, gays, and guns, and, you know, that that's not what religion has traditionally been, been about, and it really is about uh, a sense of community and, and helping each other and a common uh, goal. And so, yeah, you mentioned Saul Alinsky there, and uh, that... Uh, you know a sort of uh legendary figure uh can you tell us a little bit about your introduction to him
1: yeah i i was fired from my first job as a community organizer and one of the things said about me was that i was a little alinsky <laughs> so i said who is this guy who cost me my job i i'd never heard of him uh that was in New York. I returned to California. I'm, I'm from San Francisco originally, and I was at a gathering, a student movement gathering, and the research director of the old Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee, a fellow by the name of Hank Anderson, was leaving our, uh, a retreat that we were having, and I asked him where he was going. He said, oh, I'm going to meet this guy, Saul Alinsky. He knows a lot about the Mexicans and Mexican-Americans in California. Uh, so I said, "Well, you mind if I tag along? Uh, I'd like to meet him." So Hank said, "No, come on." So we went down to his house in uh, outside of uh, Carmel, and uh, Hank knocked on the door, and Linsky opened it, and he had a very gruff manner. He looked at me after Hank introduced himself, and he said, what's this guy here for? <laughs> so Hank was kind of frozen and taken aback by this. And I said, well, Mr. Olinsky, I was fired for being a little one, and I wanted to meet the big one. <laughs> well, that tickled his ego. He had a good-sized ego. And so he laughed, and he uh, then he regaled us with stories about New York and the social work uh, industry there, as he called it, uh, with Hank getting more and more impatient, and Alinsky assuring him, don't worry, we're going to talk about the farm workers. <laughs> so that was my first encounter with Saul. That was in 1961 or so. And then I went to work for him in 19 end of 1966, really beginning of 1967.
0: All right. So so a uh, quite an influence on you. Pardon? So quite an influence on you.
1: Oh yeah, uh huh. He, he, Go ahead. he, and my experience uh, in the deep south with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and and my earlier student movement experience at Berkeley. I think those were the formative influences in everything I've done since.
0: Well, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and uh, you know, whenever I meet anybody who was part of that, I, I'm I'm somewhat in awe. Uh, did you feel at at the time that y- you were part of something historic?
1: Oh yeah, I I I, th- I think most of us thought we were making history.
0: Uh, yeah, and uh, what uh, you just knew that that one way or another things were not going to be the same. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, these. Uh, I don't know, I mean, it's just, I, I was not there, I, I was uh, a little too young, and, you know, I just, you know, it's, to me, it's just this part of history, and uh, to me, it's something that we can look at and see that this really worked. A lot of people worked hard, a lot of people made some serious sacrifices, even, th- you know, their lives, and, uh, but we got radical change because of that.
1: Yes and no. This is I get together we get there's a group of us who are veterans of SNCC who meet monthly out here in the Bay Area, and we have long discussions where we assess uh what we did back then. We do other things too, but that's one of the things we do and I think there's probably a consensus we accomplished a lot, and there's a, a whole lot that we wanted to accomplish. That we weren't able to. There's no doubt that we broke down the walls both of legal and de facto segregation. Uh, Black people aren't afraid every time they encounter a cop that they might get beat over the head or insulted or otherwise abused. There are breakthroughs in job opportunities and in other areas. Uh, But the deep poverty of the black belt the counties with huge black populations still exists. Mm -hmm. Uh, The structure, the economic power structure, pretty much is as it was. So we made important changes, and there were some things that uh, we really weren't able to get a handle on.
0: Yeah, and in certain ways we can see uh, with the corporate consolidation of power that some things could be said to actually be getting worse, and... uh, that we've got, That's what we've got our work ahead of us. Why I want to talk to you today about how we organize against this. And, uh, yeah, I'm speaking today with Mike Miller, and his book is A Community Organizer's Tale, People and Power in San Francisco. And, uh, so uh, to get back to Alinsky for just a moment, are, um, are you aware that the uh, right-wing establishment, who, are, who themselves are well aware of Alinsky and really hate him, are uh, trying to use some of his organizing principles with their sort of astroturfy tea party groups?
1: Yes, I'm not clear on whether they're reading him from the point of view of know the devil or reading him from the point of view that we can learn things from him. Uh, And maybe it's a little bit of both. Uh, You can... You can learn a little bit about tactics uh, from Alinsky, even if you're using them against all the things that he stood for. Uh, And I suspect there may be people there who are trying to do that.
0: Yeah, well, actually, I I heard a fellow being interviewed on a uh, right-wing radio show yesterday, um, and uh, he was actually an author. had a book out about... uh, Uh, related to all of this and how it was a little of both, that, yeah, know the devil and, boy, we can use some of these tactics. So uh, that's a kind of bizarre uh, turn of events, but uh, something to certainly be aware of. Uh, So getting back to your personal work as a community organizer, uh, could you maybe give us a couple of, I don't know, maybe... Laws of community organizing, or something. You know, this is something that, uh, if you could sum it up into one phrase or something.
1: Well, let me let me give a tell you a phrase that I like to use: lowest significant common denominator. We have to create organizations in which there's a good deal of diversity. We can't have a proliferation of organizations each narrowly seeking to maximize its own agenda from the point of view of a relatively narrow constituency. We have too much of that already. We need to find ways that people who may differ on many things, but who can agree on some core values about justice about equality, about liberty, about community, can come together and define a program in which they will support each other. They will even agree that there are some things that the organization is not even going to undertake because they just can't find common ground on them. But at least, even if we can't find common ground on those few things, We recognize we need to be in relationship with one another. We need to build a big tent under which there's room for all of us so that we can have the power to begin to hold accountable, for example, the whole financial industry that is responsible for millions of people either in danger of losing their homes or having already lost their homes. Hold accountable corporate power that explore that that is constantly searching to maximize profit and will destroy entire regions. I mean, the whole rust belt uh, is an expression of what industrial abandonment meant when it left unionized jobs and went, first to the deep south in this country, then to Mexico, then to China, then, and it's going to move from China, too, because wages may start going up there as Chinese workers are making all kinds of demands on their government and engaging in spontaneous strikes. The people who want to maximize profit care about only one thing, the quarterly report. They have to be held accountable, and ultimately, those institutions, those kinds of corporate institutions, have to be uh, broken up, uh, turned into worker ownership cooperatives, run by, uh, uh, in some cases, nationalized. We need to explore all kinds of alternatives. I don't have one that's particularly my favorite. All I know is that when we are told that a private corporation is, quote-unquote, too big to fail, then we also know it is too big for a democracy.
0: Yes, th- this is true. You know, you mentioned th- this whole thing, that the, uh, the banks, the financial institutions, and we're, we're still in the midst of this crisis, and the, we have the, the bailouts, and a lot of people feel really angry about the way that that was done. And and it seems to me that this is a a perfect opportunity for organizing, because even with the, say the Tea Party people who you know we may disagree with on a lot of things, they they're angry about
1: the
0: the banks as well. They they feel that I think some of them understand that the the banks are not behaving as our friends, and uh, that this. Somehow we we need to find a way that we can get common ground to get everybody together on this because everybody understands that the the banks are are screwing us, and I I think there's a lot of uh, say on the left a lot of anger towards uh, o- Obama and the Democrats and think uh, they think that they didn't uh, d- handle this properly, did not uh, break up the big banks or did not you know maybe even nationalize them or something to that effect. So the I heard you mentioned something in the book about this that many people kind of like. Oh well, we got Obama in there. He's uh, he's was a community organizer. He's basically like one of us. Okay, we can you know sit aside now. But that's really the wrong approach, and that we really need to be putting the uh, the pressure on Obama. Exactly.
1: It was a mistake to think he was going to be a messiah in the first place. And it's a mistake now to condemn him as vigorously as many people who call themselves progressives or on the left are now doing. He is the best that we're going to get for a while. And if they, if, if people think that a Republican Congress is going to be of benefit either to the people of the United States or to the people of the world, uh, I think they're sadly mistaken. We need to look at our own practices. What's the presence that we have? What organizations do we have in blue-dog Democrat districts that can hold them accountable? What organizations do we have in white working-class constituencies that can argue with the Tea Party people, about their misplaced anger, uh, or target of their anger. Uh, we had a lot of looking at ourselves, at our own practice, uh, uh, to correct the present political situation.
0: Yes, I, I just feel we, we, we have such an opportunity right now with this particular situation, because I, I uh, you know, I, I myself, many people I know, we saw this happen. We saw the the bank bailouts, and we said, "Okay, I can I can understand that the whole economy may collapse if if we had not, as a government, stepped in and done this. We needed to do something. It uh, could have certainly been handled better. But then, you know, right after this happens, then we see." these same financial institutions that you may have a credit card with and that you've been behaving responsibly with your credit card and they just jack up your interest rate, uh, you know, three or four percentage points or nothing you did, but just because they want to make up those profits that they lost because of their irresponsible behavior. And so, I mean, I, I think that's something that most people can understand and it's it's uh, that's very personal. Hey, you know, we as taxpayers help to bail you out. How do you repay us? So I, I don't. Do you see something, Mike, that that uh, a simple act that people could organize around related to no, that? You,
1: you see, I don't think you can start from that point of looking for the simple act around which you can organize. Okay. I think you have to look at the long haul. That's why I come back to looking for common values. Basic values of democracy, participation, justice. You know, in the Tea Party crowd, uh I think Glenn Beck says this. He says be suspicious of any church that talks about justice. So, we need to be fighting. That's a biblical value. <laughs> That's a biblical value. Yeah. And yet Glenn Beck is telling people, be suspicious of churches that talk about justice. Well, he, he, he needs to be challenged head-on in those constituencies. Now, in fact, uh, just take the banks and the credit cards for a moment. The Industrial Areas Foundation, which is one of the, the Alinsky's original organization, actually, they have launched a campaign called 10% is enough. They want to negotiate directly with the credit card companies to bring interest rates down to 10% or less. And they say, and they, and they use biblical and uh, historically small-d democratic traditions to, and teachings to demonstrate that anything more is usury. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have launched this campaign uh, mostly in their mid-Atlantic and uh, northeast uh, states. Uh, I'm really interested in how that's going and, and, and wish them well on it. PICO, which is uh, I think has a presence down there in Orange County, uh, they're taking on the banks directly. They're organizing people who either have been foreclosed upon or are threatened with foreclosure, and they're going and they're meeting with the banks and demanding that the banks renegotiate loans, that they put a halt to foreclosures. They, they have not done what they were supposed to do under the terms of what they negotiated with Obama. But the, the administration is not vigorously on top of this, the people who are directly affected by it in community organizations, uh, uh, we have one up here in Contra Costa County. It's a PICO affiliate. They are directly negotiating with the Bank of America, and they are confronting the bank with what it's doing. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, that we need to do. Um, there, I don't think a single campaign, though, uh, there's no magic bullet. Mm-hmm. Let me put it that way. There's no magic bullet. We need to be thinking in terms of the long haul and how you put together permanent, multi-issue, value-based organizations, whether those values are the American democratic tradition or religious values. Either way, if justice, equality, freedom, community, solidarity, those are core values that need to guide what we do. Uh,
0: uh, Wise words. (laughs) The words of Mike Miller. This is uh, Robert Larson, KUCI in Irvine, and yes, talking to Mike Miller in his recent book, or new book, A Community Organizer's Tale, People and Power in San Francisco, telling us how we can use people power to confront and uh, take back the power from those who have too much. Too much to make a uh, democracy work, you make that point in the book if, if you could elaborate on that a little bit mike i I find that really important that uh, y- you hear from the corporatist and the sort of right wing that this whole thing about uh, free uh, markets and uh, free enterprise and deregulation and uh, but what is the result of the way they're using those terms or implementing those terms is that we have a situation where uh, there are d- d- very few who have an excessive amount of money and power. And, and the po- the point you make is that a democracy cannot function properly when, when that is the case. It, could you explain that a little?
1: Sure. Uh, the assumption... Well, let's just start with the simple assumption, one person, one vote. If in order to get to me to ask me for my vote, you have to become beholden to a corporation that gives you $100,000 to buy TV time, you're going to be tailoring (laughs) what you say (laughs) And certainly you're going to tailor what you do, no matter what you say, if you get elected, to that donor of the $100,000, not to my one vote and maybe $25 that I contributed to your campaign. You cannot have democracy and concentration of wealth. You either have one or you have the other.
0: And it was, so, some of the founding fathers were were well aware of this and were very concerned about their history in Europe and the aristocracy and how that, that made, made something like a democracy impossible and they didn't want an American d- democracy and were very concerned about a concentration of wealth and put certain checks in place that have since sort of fallen by the wayside and even... Uh, Theodore Roosevelt had concerns about this, and they talked to me about things like progressive taxation, that this was one check on this, and that's been uh, basically whittled away for the past uh, 30, 40 years, correct?
1: Yes. We need see the standard repertoire of uh, action by people who wanted to control corporate power has been either the taxation of individual wealth and corporate wealth, regulation, that's been another one. These are not sufficient. These are not sufficient. We need to do something about who owns what is put on the market. The marketplace, I don't think, is the problem. It's who owns what's put on the marketplace Now you have, for example, in, I'm going to go far afield here, the Basque region of Spain, the Mondragon Cooperatives. This is a system with over 100,000 worker owners, and I think they now have more than 100 different enterprises. Each one is owned by the people who work in them. One worker, one vote. They have a ratio of top pay to bottom, top earning to bottom, of nine to one. And in many of their companies, it's six to one. They have a philosophy of both internal and external solidarity. So if the market is not good for the products of one of the cooperatives, One of the other cooperatives that's doing well transfers people in and uses some of the surplus that it's acquired to hire new people and have them do uh, some things that had been put on the back burner. They are able to do that because they don't look at a quarterly statement of uh, profits going to outside investors who don't care about the Basque people in the Mondragon community. We need to look at things like that, worker ownership. It's getting a little bit more play in this country now. The Steelworkers Union is interested in it. Uh, And in some, like in the utilities uh, industry, uh, about 10% of American utilities are consumer cooperatives. They're they're not uh, worker cooperatives, they're consumer cooperatives. So we have to look at things like that. We have to look at more vigorous antitrust. Uh, while we could do away with these big, huge banks. There, there are thousands of community banks, credit unions, and other institutions that can perform the function of offering savings and uh, capital for investment. Um,
0: and it sounds like all of these things that you're mentioning... Maybe this is too simplistic, but it sounds to me like that they all generate a sense of community. Are you talking about this situation?
1: That's exactly right.
0: And that the situation we have in big corporate America where you have uh, these huge corporations that, as you said, it's about the bottom line, the quarterly profits, it's the exact opposite of that. that. That is what matters. If there's any sense of, like, we're all in this together, we need to help each other out, that's completely by the wayside. And, uh, you know, it's just, the word community is just maybe something that people need to be thinking about a little more. You know, organizing, exactly. yes, but let's first admit that we need to form a community, to have a community.
1: Yes, that's right. And historically, if we go back to the economics just for a minute, um, markets were embedded in communities. The people who bought and sold in markets were not anonymous buyers and sellers. They were concrete human beings. They were bound together by norms and practices and values that limited Uh, what someone might do to take advantage of someone else. Now, when you own something and you can buy and sell it with a click on a computer uh, key and it's 10,000 miles away, you you don't have any bond with the people who were affected by the decision to divest, to shut down a plant, uh, whatever. I just saw on, on the news the other day that Evidently, the American government extended uh, uh, minimum wage to American Samoa. In American Samoa, two of the biggest tuna packing companies in the United States have plants. Well, one of them has already shut down. They're moving to somewhere else where there isn't minimum wage. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's like we need... uh, I, I don't you know I just we need this on a global level as far as a, 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 we can 't allow this to where people we do something that 's the right thing where we oh these are our brothers and sisters they need to be treated as human beings, need to have a living wage, you know not that minimum wage is really a living wage, but it 's a start, uh, but they need that, and then the corporation and they need
1: to they need to live in a country where you can have free speech and free association. So, and it's easy to get, I think maybe we're getting drawn into that a little too much because we need to look, what can we do right here and now? Those are not the kinds of issues in which you initially get engaged when you're building a community organization. You have to have some much smaller things that you can win fairly quickly because you have to convince people that there is, efficacy in collective action if you do collective action properly you actually can accomplish things you actually can make politicians bureaucrats and business executives accountable you can negotiate with them well that takes you start with the small ones you gain some victories you establish confidence and competence in your people uh they get the idea that, hey, we we, do, we not only deserve to be, but we can be in negotiations with these people. Uh, then you can move on to bigger things. You can move on to alliances with groups in other parts of your region or your state or the country.
0: And anyway. how to get started with all of that is in your book, uh, Community Organizer's Tale, People in Power in San Francisco, with ah. some wonderful anecdotes Excellent history. Let,
1: let me, can I just flip one thing in here? I have a website. People yes, might I was wanna... just going to ask you that. <laughs> okay, so if you want to connect with Organized Training Center, it's center. all one word, and there's no D on the end of organize. So it's center. Dot org, Organized can,
0: training dot org. Yeah. Okay. And you? Anything else you want to give out to us? Any other uh, websites? Any other contact information?
1: Well, if you if you Google com org or community organizing. You can learn about all these other networks uh, that that are doing great work around the country. And ACORN, which the right wing was able to demolish, a lot of relationships are now, it's kind of like Phoenix, you know, rising. Uh, Former ACORN people are now regrouping, and they're coming back into play in organizations that, for the most part, as far as I understand it now, we're just at the state level. And they're talking about, you know, how do we down the road uh, work with one another on a national basis. But they're now regrouping uh, in a number of states. So uh, all the work of building ACORN f- over a 40-year period is, is, has not been uh, destroyed, even though that organization... I think, is, is uh, largely a thing of the past.
0: Yeah, as a big national organization. Uh, John Atlas, who wrote a book about them, was on the show recently, and also had Sai Khan on, who's been a community org- organizer. So, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of people out there of have a lot of information about this, about how to do it, and you people who have done it, you know, I... I honor you, and I appreciate uh, you being able to share all of this with us. And uh, the website again?
1: Www.organizedtrainingcenter, one www.organizedtrainingcenter.org.
0: Okay. And your book again, uh, Mike Miller, A Community Organizer's Tale, People in Power in San Francisco. Uh, anything else you want to leave us with, Mike?
1: Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and I, I encourage people To seek out uh, an organization in their area, uh, ideally one that has a trained organizer who's working with it, uh, and get active. Get active. They're in Orange County. I I know that there are things going on down there that you can get active in.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Okay, Mike Miller, thanks so much for spending the time with us today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay, take care. Yes, Mike Miller, A Community Organizer's Tale, People and Power in San Francisco is his book, and yes, check that out. All right, uh, we got to close out the show here. I'm Robert Larson, and I'll remind you once more, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, you can email me at rglarson.com. At KUCI.org, you can also catch me on Facebook. That's Facebook.com slash RGLarson. Matt Kaplan will be up in about three minutes with Counterspin and Planetary Radio, so you'll want to stay around for that. And I will uh, be with you next week with more interesting conversations. And uh, I will uh, tell you... Again, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. All right, talk to you next week.